If you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to Philippians chapter uh, 1. Again, we want to welcome you to Asbury Church, and uh, I'm Pastor Dave, by the way, and um, I have to say something. I think you guys are amazing. I love Asbury Church. It was so fun just to be able to, as we were worshiping, just kind of stand at the back and watch and and, and I want you to know, I think this is such an amazing church, and whether you've been here, whether it's your first time or you've been here since way before we came, we're just so grateful for what God is doing in our midst. And, and I think that as we go through a Thanksgiving season, I think one of the things that we get to be thankful for is our circles, our circle of friends. How many know that, how many here are grateful for the circle of friends and people that God has brought into your life? Okay, a few of us. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you know what, at least today, I am thankful for you. Just tell them that this morning. It, it's, it's so much fun. You know, as I was thinking, you know, we, we have all these circles. And, and so this morning, we're going to talk about developing the circle. And, and when I say developing the circle, I'm talking about the, the circle of friends, the circle of community. And, and we all have circles that we're a part of. You know, we, we got to spend time with family. How many love the circle of family? Yeah, come on now. How many would like a different circle? Of, no, don't raise your hand, right? But, but, but the family, the, the, you know, there's something about family. And, and, and I'm excited because in, in a few days, I mean, at Christmas time, we have uh, our kids, all our kids are coming back and we get to do Christmas together and we get to spend it. We get to spend our grandbaby's first Christmas. They get to spend it with us. And I'm so excited. It's so much fun because we get pretty much every day, we get pictures of little Mavy, our first grandbaby. When we don't get it, you can, you, can, you can sense the hostility that begins to arise in the household. We're like, where are the pictures? We don't really care about the other ones right now, but boy, Mavy, you know. But, but there's a circle of family that we're all a part of. We're all a part of, of a family. Not only that, we have not only circles of families, we have circles of friends. You know, people that, that we get to journey with, uh, through life with. And uh, we have circles of, of church, and we, we're a church family, and we get, to, we get to do life together. I think also for, for me, you know, as I think about, there's a group of pastors that I get to do life with as well, and, and I keep telling them every once in a while, I'm like, oh, you know what, I just love the fact that I'm a part of this tribe. I love the, I love the people that, I, that, that are surrounding me, that, that are encouraging me, that, that I'm doing ministry life with, and I am so grateful for uh, the people around us. You know, I came across a few quotes, especially as we think about friendship and we think about circles. Uh, how many know that true wealth lies not in material possessions, but in the richness of genuine friendships? How many know that to be true? Like, like what makes life rich? You know, I've done a, I've done a bunch of funerals. I, I have I have even sat with people as they're getting ready. You know, as as they know their time is coming to an end. And very rarely do I meet people that say, you know what? I wish I could just put in a few more hours at work. Like, I don't get people saying that. What what they want is as as you come down to your final days, it's like it's the people. I want around me. It's the family. It's the friends. It's it's this loving. It's man. It's just this group of people because there's something about relationship. You know, as we come to the Christmas season, we'll watch movies. And how many know it's a wonderful life is a wonderful movie. And if you remember, Clarence tells George Bailey, "No man is a failure who has friends." Can I get a witness on that one? You know, like like our life is 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 enriched. Through our relationship circles. 
Another person said, friendship is the currency that brings abundance to the heart and nourishes the soul. You know, I, I think, you know, we, we sometimes are within culture, there's this debate about what makes a person successful. Sometimes they'll say, is it IQ? Is it how smart you are? Is it EQ, your emotional quotient? I think it's some combination of the two that actually manifests itself in relational intelligence. Like relational, what's the relational quotient? How well do we do relationships together? Because ultimately as beings, God created us for relationships. So this morning I want to take a few moments to think about how do we develop our circles. And, um, you know, as you think about your own life and your own circles, family, friends, uh, church, uh, you know, peers, professionally, um, how would you describe them? Now, one of the things that I've come to know about people is because relationships are so important, we all long to have relationships deepened. Like, like a spouse wants to, you know, I want to be a better husband, a better wife. And how many just wish sometimes our kids would just want to be better kids? Come on. <laughs> right? But, but, you know, but, but just relationally, we want our relationships to, to deepen and, and, and how do we make them better? And I want to look at a passage from uh, Philippians chapter 1 this morning, verses 3 through uh, 11, and think about this idea of relationships. And as we do, the big idea we're going to think around is simply this. The quality of our life is impacted by those we surround ourselves with. The quality of our life is impacted by those we surround ourselves with. And if we're going to improve our lives, if we're going to experience the, the fullness of life that God has for us, I believe it is so important that we do life in community. And so Philippians chapter, uh, we'll start Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Just so you know, Paul here is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. The, the, the church in Philippi was a um, was, a, was an important point in Paul's ministry. If you remember that, that he had this great passion to, to take this message of Jesus and to share it all over. And so he, he went on different missionary journeys and he shared around uh, what was at the time called Asia Minor, which is kind of in like the, the southern Turkey area. But, but then he, he, he began, he got to a place as he has done a bunch of that. They, they were kind of uncertain. Where do we go next? Where do we take this message of Jesus, Jesus that this gospel that, that has the ability to change and transform lives, where do we go next? And, and they would begin moving in one direction, but they didn't have a piece about it, and they'd go in a different direction. And, and there was this tension about where do we go next? Well, if you remember, Paul had this vision. And the vision was, it was called the Macedonian vision, where, 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 where he, he saw a man in his vision saying, Paul, come to us. And, and so he, he moved in response to that vision and ended up in a place called Philippi, which was the first city that he planted a church in, in, in on the continent of Europe. And, and so as he goes there, it, it was a place that, that, that he had such an affinity for. He, you know, if you read this letter, you'll find out that, that not only is it a, a positive letter, uh, in, in that there, there's all this, you know, this acclamations of joy and the challenge to continue to rejoice. But, but it's a deeply personal letter. It's a letter as he writes to a church. It's, it's people that he cares deeply uh, about. And so as we look at this place from which he developed uh, lifelong relationships, I think that we're going to see as we look at this text this morning some important ideas about the circles of friendship or relationships in our life. 
And the first thing I just want to note as we get ready to read is this, is that the quality of our circle is revealed in difficulty. The quality of our circle is revealed in difficulty. How many know that, that you really know who your friends are when life gets tough? It's one thing when, when life is good and easy and, and, and you know, you're on top of the world and everyone's with you. But what happens when life goes sideways? What, what, what happens when, when, when you hit that in, in, inevitable moment in life where all of a sudden you're bumping up against the reality of the difficulty of life? How many know life is hard? I don't know about you, but I wish it was easy. How many wish life would be easy at times? But my goodness, it is not. And there are moments, even as Pastor Dwayne mentioned, that, that just, you know, there's these widow makers, these things that seem to come out of nowhere that all of a sudden just kind of crash into your life. And you're like, oh my goodness, now what do I do? And just so you know that Paul, as he's writing this letter, this is what I think is so wonderful about this letter, is that he's actually penning this letter. He, he's writing it out while he is imprisoned. While he is bound, while he is a captive, he's like, you know what? I am going to write this letter. And so life has gotten, you know, a little sideways even for Paul. He's in a place he wasn't quite looking forward to. And he was in a place where, where it was so much pressure that there were moments that he just, he, he just thought, you know, I am not even going to make it out of this alive. And so he writes this letter. And the way he begins this letter is he says this in verse 3, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love this. I thank God every time I remember you. Hey, do you got people in your life that you think about and every once in a while you start thinking about them and all of a sudden it's just like a smile comes to your face? Maybe, maybe you know, there's some people that you, you know, ran around, you did stuff with, and you're like, well, you know what, man, I got so many wonderful memories tied up with these people. You know, sometimes, you know, well, I, I know we also have memories of other people. We think about them, and it doesn't make no smile appear. But Paul's like, boy, guys, I want you to know, like, when, when I, I thank God every time I remember you. Like, when you're in my thoughts, man, I just, I just can't help but stop and say, God, just thank you for these people who are part of my life. And, and the reason for it, is, and, and when he does think of them, it says, I pray, when he prays, he prays with joy. Like, again, the people that, that, that make his life full, that, that, that bring joy to him, even in the midst of darkness. One person wrote that just as a single candle can light up a room, a true friend can brighten your darkest days. And for Paul... Being in this prison, being imprisoned, when he thought about the Philippian church, he's like, guys, I want you to know there's just, there's joy in my heart. And the reason for it was because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day, and I love it, until now. 
Like it wasn't just at the beginning. It wasn't just days gone by, but, but his joy is the fact that, you know what? Even though I'm in this place, I know I'm not alone. I know you're sticking with me through this. And as you read Philippians, you'll find out that there was this stuff that kept going back and forth between the Philippian church and, and, and the apostle Paul, where there's this mutual encouraging and support uh, that's going on, mutual concern. And Paul's just like, you know what? I understand that in my darkest days, I know that you guys are with me. I know that you're with me in the midst of all of this. You see, not only had they responded to the messengers, they also had supported the mission. And, and, and Paul was just like, guys, listen, I am so confident that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. That this, this relationship stuff, this gospel stuff that's at work in your life and in this relationship, I know that God's going to continue to grow it and advance it. And he will finish it. He will bring it to fullness. This is why I say that the quality of our circle is actually revealed in our difficulty. And, and, and part of my prayer is that, you know what, because I understand life is difficult. And, and you know what, we need people that can be there for us and with us in the midst of difficulty. The second thing I want to note from this passage real quick is that healthy circles are enabled by the grace of God. And it says this in verse 7. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains and defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love that it says, all of you share in God's grace with me. That this, this word that's used here is this idea that, that, you know what, we're in this fellowship, we're in this thing together. Now, often when we think about fellowship in the church, we think of eating and how many are grateful that we get to eat together, right? So this morning in church, you want to hear, this was a beautiful gift. We had a beautiful God moment this morning. As we're practicing, all of a sudden, some sweet saint walked in with two packages of mint, uh, what was it, the peppermint Oreos for me. I'm like, oh, bless saint of God. And so I want you to know I shared some of them. Not all of them. And so Pastor Dwayne only got one. And that's all he gets. No, I'm just kidding. They're in the car, and if you're nice, maybe I'll get one for you later. But, but, but often when we think about fellowship, we think, hey, you know what? We're eating together. We're having fun. There's this dynamic, you know, around the table. And, and, and that was such a part of the early church. But fellowship was more than just eating together. It was the idea that, you know what? We're sharing in this journey together. You know, here at the church, we, we, we think one of the, the things that is so important for us as a church is that we do life together, that we don't do life alone, that, that the grace of God has brought us into this crazy family, and that this is actually an expression of God's grace to us, because you know what God recognizes? It's not good for us to do life alone. You see, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that has rescued us, it, it is, it, it, and, and not only has he saved us from our sins, but he's put us in this amazing family. It is his kindness. It is his grace that actually enables us to have life-giving circles. And, and I, love, I, I love Paul as he talks about the Philippian church. He says this, I want you to know, guys, I have you in my heart. 
Like you're a part of my heart. You're, you're a part of what's, what's core to me is the relationship. I have you in my heart. I know I could probably start singing a Disney song. You'll be in my heart. I think that's from Tarzan. But I will spare you. But, but, but the idea that, you know, the relationship is so, so, so necessary, important, that, that this relationship is a part of the core who, of who he is. And then he goes on to say that not only, uh, and then he goes on to say, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Now, I grew up in the church. And so how many know that as a church, we have to love one another? Can I get a witness? Okay, a few of us. We grew up, you know, like, oh, fine. I love you, right? Like, you have that attitude at times. How many know sometimes some people are easier to love than others? How many know you have to sometimes, like, you know, just tell yourself, you just got to love them. You're like going, I don't like them, but I got to love them, right? Look at your neighbor and say, hey, I mean, no, don't say I may not like you, but I love but, but, but it's true, right? Like, it's, I, I love you. But it's not just, you know, we do it because it's a duty. But Paul's like, guys, I want you to understand. This isn't just about the duty of love. There's a part that he has affection. That means that he doesn't just love them. He likes them. How many know that when you start living in a place where your relationship isn't just out of duty, but actual value and appreciation, it's a whole different ballgame. And, and Paul's like, guys, I want you to understand that the, 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 the love I have for you, you guys are a part of my heart, and you mean so much to me. You know, I, I think it's sad. Sometimes in, in, in Christian life, we see church as a duty. We have to go to church. I was a pastor's kid. Do you know what it means to be a pastor's kid? You have to go to church. You have to go. You know, it, it didn't matter. We, we, had, we had Sunday morning. Sunday night, and then we'd have our midweek, and then we'd have sometimes weekends, and it doesn't matter. You had to go to church. And you may not realize this, but I would always try to get out of church, especially Sunday night. And this was my strategy because Sunday was the day of rest, and so my parents always made us go to sleep. You have to take a nap. And so I would not nap right up until we had to get ready to go to church, and then I would fall asleep in the hope that they would have great pity on me and say, oh, we need to let him sleep. But they woke me, and I had to go to church. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, it's just something I have to do. But Paul would say, listen, it's not just a have to, it's a, it's a get to. I get to be a part of a church. This is an expression of the grace of God. Some of you wonder, where is God in the midst of the difficulty of life? Where is, his, where is his presence? Where, where is his grace in, in the midst of the difficult places? And what you will find is this, is that in the community of faith, as we gather around as brothers and sisters in, in Christ Jesus, that you know what? God's presence is manifest in and through his people to be grace for us so that we don't have to go through difficult things alone. Healthy circles are enabled by God's grace. The last thing I want to note is this, that strengthening our circles requires relational knowing and moral clarity. I, I love how Paul, he talks about, he goes through this whole thing. He's like, guys, I want you to know when I remember you, I thank God. I remember you. There's joy. You're a part of my heart. 
I don't just love you, I like you. And he goes, and I want you to know that I pray for you, and this is my prayer. And we get this little glimpse into how Paul is praying for the church. And this is his prayer. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Everybody say, love abound. God's desire, Paul's desire is that the church, that the love in the church would abound more and more. And you'll notice it goes in two directions, in knowledge and in depth of insight. Like, I pray that your love will get to the place where, 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 there's, where there's this knowledge and depth of insight. And he says, I want this so that, which is a purpose, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. His prayer was simply this. Guys, I want you to know I'm praying for you that your love would abound more and more. How many recognize the central ethic of the Christian faith is love? I'm so grateful for Jesus because he makes it simple. He doesn't make it easy. He makes it simple. He says, hey, you know what? You want to sum up all the law and prophets? I got two commandments. Now, this was good news in his day because at the time of Jesus, there were 613 commandments that a child of God was to follow. How many of you are good at remembering 10 commandments? Raise your hand. Like, I got a vague idea. How many of you would just be amazing at having to remember 613? I'm like, I can't find my keys. I don't remember where I put my glasses. How am I going to remember 613? And this is why I'm grateful for Jesus. And so he says, okay, we're going to make it really simple. And I'm like, I like simple. And he says, okay, this whole thing's going to be this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these things, these two commands sum up all the law and the prophets. And this is the life that we are called to live. How many are grateful that he made it simple? How many know that ain't easy? <laughs> but love is really the, the, the proper expression. It's the proper response for what Christ has done for us. It, it, it is his grace that has saved us. And, and this love b- begins to motivate and begins to move us. And Paul's like, guys, I want, my my prayer is that the love that is already manifest in you, that it would begin to abound, that that it would move beyond the expected measure. And and that it would manifest itself in two directions, that, that it would be in regards to knowledge, that you would have a love that knows. Now, it's interesting the word that 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 uh Paul uses here because there's knowing and then there's knowing. How many know there's knowing and then there's knowing? How many know you, you can know a thing, but then you can know a thing? And what he's using in this one is, is a more intensified idea of knowing. And, and, and the idea in it is simply, it is knowledge that is gained through firsthand experience. He's saying it's not just about knowing someone, but knowing from being with the someone. 
So I remember growing up, so as a, I grew up in Canada, and, and, and so I loved to play God's sport, which is hockey. And, and you know, we, we would invariably, as kids, as we would play hockey, we would take on the personalities or, or, or we would take on the names of the people that we thought we wanted to play like. And so we grew up, I grew up in the, area of the, in, in the era of Wayne Gretzky, and so it was Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry. And so we would play, and it's Wayne Gretzky to Yari Curry, Yari Curry to Wayne Gretzky, shoots and scores! And so it's like, yay! And so we would do this, so we're running around, trying, you know, we are so in shape we could run and do play-by-play as we're doing it. So we're doing all this fun stuff. If I was playing defenseman, I would take on the name of a defensive player. Well, when I was a kid, when I played goalie, which was one of my favorite positions, I would take on the name of Pete Peters. Now, Pete Peters was an Edmonton native, that went on to play in the NHL and he played for the Boston Bruins. I'm not a big fan of the Boston Bruins, but I was a big fan of Pete Peters because he was a phenomenal goalie. Like there was one season where he was, I believe, one of the top goalies in the league. He was like, so he was a hometown boy and he was an amazing goalie and you know, all these different things. And I was like, when I play, I'm like going, you know what? I'm Pete Peters and I knew his stats. I knew his number. I, you know, I, I, I knew him. Well, I was sharing this one day with my, my middle sister, and she was just like, I was saying, yeah, I'd love to play. When we play, I'd play like Pete Peters. She goes, Pete Peters? I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh, I know him. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I used to babysit his kids, because after he played for the Bruins, he came back to Edmonton, and she watched his kids. And she's like, yeah, I've had lunch with him. Wow. I'm like, what? <laughs> now, this, you, you know what's terrible about this? I knew him. <laughs> But she knew him. And, and, and this is the idea. Paul is saying, guys, I want you to you know, like just not know about, but I want you to know from relationship. I, I, wa- I, want you, I want you to know from the table perspective rather than the hockey card perspective. And this happens in our relationship with God. He's like going, guys, I want you to know my prayer for you is that your love might abound more and more. In knowledge that, that in, this, in this relationship with God, it wouldn't just be about God, that you would know about God or information about Him, but you would know from that presence, from that relationship that you've cultivated with Him, that you know God. That you know one another, not, not just the, the, the names of the person that may sit next to you or across the aisle from you, but my prayer is that you would have a love that knows. Because how many know when you really know someone, it changes the way you interact with them? He says, not only do I pray that you'd have knowledge, but that you'd have depth of insight. And this is the idea, this depth of insight is this idea actually of discernment that you can actually perceive things that are beyond just the surface. One of the things that we all do is we actually all have a presentation of ourselves. How many of you got a presentation of yourself? Like, I dressed up today, I cleaned up, because I want you not to think that, you know, I don't take care of myself, right? Like, that there's a presentation part. There's a surface piece. Now, we watch this on social media. How many know social media is not about real people? It's just about what people, real people want things perceived about them. Does that make sense? So just because you see them on social media, and and this I think is so important because sometimes people look at at people's social media accounts and go, oh my goodness, look, they have the best life ever. 
And I'm like going, yeah, they're only putting up the stuff that they want you to see. That's not the real person. And sometimes what happens in our world is, is, is we just see the surface. And, and Paul's like, guys, listen, I want your love to go beyond just the surface stuff. I want you to be able to discern and understand what's real. And, and, and this discernment isn't just in the idea of being beyond the surface, but, but it actually moves into the area that, that you can actually, in your, in your viewing, in your seeing, you can actually choose to do the good thing, the better thing, the excellent thing. And so within this knowing, that this discerning, is actually this ideal idea of moral clarity. Because you actually know what's going on. And so you can respond appropriately. And Paul's like, guys, my, my prayer is that you would grow in your love, in knowledge, in depth of insight, so that you can discern what is best. So you can discern what is best. You see, I think in our relationships that, that, that there are lots of choices that we get to make, and, and how many know that our choices impact our future, and they impact what we experience? Some of you, you've made choices, you're like, oh, boy, if I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't make those decisions, because you're like, oh, you know what? These decisions have affected me this way. Wouldn't it be great to be able to make decisions that you don't have to regret in relationship? Yep. Oh, my goodness. And this is what Paul's saying. Guys, this is my prayer, is that there would be a, a, a level of, of knowing and perceiving so that you don't have to live with regrets in relationships, that you can actually discern what is best and make the good choices. Now, I, I want you to know that, that in this moral discerning stuff, that it's more than just be, uh, being able to discern what is right and what is wrong. That's often the, the way we frame things, right? Is it right or is it wrong? And there's an appropriateness to understand, hey, if it's wrong, let's stay away from it. If it's right, let's embrace it. Can I get an amen on that one? But moral discernment is more than just being able to define what is right and what is wrong. Moral discernment also helps us understand what is better. Because how many know that our lives are actually filled with a lot of good things? And sometimes we can get our good things out of order. Okay, how many know that work is a good thing? Okay, three of us. Come on now, look at your neighbor and say, work's a good thing. Hey, just so you know, work was a part of the garden. It's the original story. You're working in the garden. Don't think that, you know... Ideal, if, if everything was perfect, we wouldn't work. No, you're working in the garden. Work is a good thing. Having purpose and meaning, that's a good thing, right? So it's a good. How many know that family is a good? Can I get a, some of you? You're like, I know some of your families. And I understand why you're not raising your hand. Like, <laughs> true story, right? Um, how many know family's a good? And how many know that sometimes the working good and the family good can be in tension with one another. What do you choose? Hmm. See, that takes moral discernment. Because what it requires, moral discerning, isn't just about right and wrong, but also saying, okay, so what, what good am I going to choose? And sometimes what we have to do is we have to diminish a good so that we can experience something better. 
And Paul's like, guys, my prayer is that you would, you would do this so that you might discern what's best and that you might be pure and blameless. And, 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 and these, are, these are ideas of the, the idea of purity is that your life is being able to live in the presence of God where there is no shame, where there's no fear. That it's pure. And not only is it pure, but it's also blameless in regards to relationship with one another. It's relating rightly. And this is why I'm saying that if we're going to strengthen our circles, it requires relational knowing and moral clarity. Because again, the quality of our lives are impacted by those we surround ourselves with. And so I just want to give some real quick, and these are really going to be quick. Three will be quick. One will be a little longer. Um, about how we develop our circles, the first thing we have to do is we actually have to learn to lean into the grace of God. Again, it's more than just knowing about God. It's being in relationship with Him. And we have to actually lean into the grace of God because God's grace is for our good. You see, it's as we spend time in God's presence that we find the grace that empowers us as we go through life. But it's not only just being in His presence, but also being with His people. Learning how to love in a grace-filled community. And so part of this, how do we begin to develop our circle? Hey, no matter what circle you're a part of, lean into God's grace. Secondly, and this is, the, this is a big one, we have to develop our moral compass. Okay, real quick, everybody close your eyes. You have to close your eyes to play this game. This is a fun one. Close your eyes. What I, everybody, keep your eyes closed. Don't look, don't look. Okay, everybody, I want everybody to point north now. All right. All right. Now, everybody pointing somewhere. I want everybody point somewhere. Where's north? Well, keep it. Keep pointing. Where's north? Okay, open your eyes. Look around. There's some people I am not following. I'm just saying. Okay. North is in this direction. All right, most of you were right. Some of you were, I, I love Neil. Neil's like going, we're in church. <laughs> Dude, it's, on the, it's, it's up. There's always one, right? You know, but, but the idea is where's north? How many know that north helps us get our bearings? If you think a place is north that is not north and you begin to make decisions to get someplace without recognizing where north really is, you're never going to get there. Does that make sense? And this isn't just a geographical thing. This is actually a moral thing. Did you know that everybody here has a moral compass? The problem is they don't work. So let me tell you about sin real quick. You know what sin does? So, so we, we talk about sin. There's a lot we talk about around here every once in a while. Um, what is sin? Sin is our decision that we know better than God how to get the good things of life. And you know what the consequence of sin is? Wherever sin is present, sin ruins relationship. It ruins relationship with God. It ruins relationship with others. And it even ruins relationship with ourselves. So wherever sin is present, sin ruins relationship, which is interesting because we all want good relationships. Yet when we choose against God, we know better than him how to get the good things. Instead of experiencing the good things, we experience ruin, the ruining of relationship. 
This is part of the problem. This is why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to help us get reoriented. But not only does sin ruin relationship, you know what else sin does? It corrupts our compass. See, there is something that happens with you and me that, that sometimes we can perceive something going, oh yeah, that, that's not right. But then when we begin to do it, we begin to justify why it's okay or right for us. Like, for example, if you look at the Bible, the Bible's got a whole lot of lists of, of things like, hey guys, as followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to be doing this. So number one, I'll give you an example. One is, is raging, right? That, that ends up in, in slandering and, and like yelling at people and stuff like that. How many know that is not, like when, when you're raging at people, when you're angry, when you're like just at people, and, and they're just people that doesn't matter what they do, everything they do ticks you off. How many know that at some point you begin to justify it to yourself? Yeah, I know I shouldn't be raging at it, you know, so-and-so, but you know what? I have right to. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said about me? I have a right, and I am right to rage in this direction. And what's happened is in doing it, you've actually allowed sin to adjust your compass because now what we're saying is a wrong thing is okay for me. In our culture, our culture will say this, if it feels good to you, go ahead and do it. Just follow your heart. Just do the things that make you happy. Have you noticed that the more our culture seeks their own happiness, the less happy everything else becomes? There's a reason, so, so I, I'll poke one more thing, just because I'm, I'm, I'm in a fun mood this morning. I'm in a fine and fun mood. But the Bible speaks about sexual immorality. Like it has some pretty clear guidelines. So sexual immorality is any expression of sexual relationship outside that between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. So it's kind of like defined. And we begin to say, no, 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 you know, just go with your heart. Go whatever feels good. And so we give ourselves permission, it's okay for me. But again, wherever sin functions, it sets death and ruin and destruction in motion. And then we're like, going, but you know what? I want the good stuff. It's going to get me the good stuff, and it's not. And not only that, you begin to skew your own compass because you say this is right. And you begin to orient yourself in a direction. And you say, yeah, I can behave how I want in this direction. And it's okay. But it will never get you to the place you long to be. See, one of the things about love, see, sometimes we think what love is, is giving into the desires and wants of another. Oh, my child wants it. How many, how many know that the wants and desires of a child, number one, they don't know anything more than their wants? How many know there's a whole world beyond their wants and needs? I mean, their, their wants and desires at a moment. How many know there's a whole world that they are not aware of? And if you give in to their wants all the time, they'll never experience some of this other stuff. 
And, and so there, there's this idea that you know, love, and, and you find this in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament and in the Old, is that love is connected with morality. So Paul will write this in Romans chapter 12. It says, um, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. See, see love without morality is actually quite destructive. And this is why I think, you know, if we're going to grow our circles, we actually have to get our moral compass. We need to develop it. And this is why we need the Word of God to speak. Because you know what the Word of God provides for us? A morality outside of our wants. You see, th this is the thing about what God's Word does, is God's Word gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to critique our choices. And see, if we're going to develop our moral compass, what we need is we need the Word of God, and we need to interact, and we need to know it. And, and if, we, if I had time, I'd talk about uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses what is it, 11 through 14, where it says that, that, that solid food is for the mature who by constant use ha have, have this ability to discern, have trained themselves to distinguish or discern between good and evil. That when you begin to use God's word rightly, it helps you make moral decisions. And so if we're going to align our compass rightly, then what we need is we need God's word. But not only do we need God's word, we also need God's spirit. So if you read in John chapter 16, you know what one of the roles of the spirit of God in our life is? Well, it, it's... So good news, when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, His Spirit is placed within us, that God pours His love into us through the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. But not only does the Spirit pour His love into our hearts, but the Spirit of God then begins to do something. Number one is it begins to convict us. That the Spirit of God, when we not only lean into God's Word, but we become sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're going to find out that as you begin to move into certain directions you are going to have the sense that, wait, wait, something's not right, pause. And the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict you because it's like going, hey, don't go down this trail because if you go down this trail, instead of finding life, you'll find death. Instead of something that builds, you'll find something that destroys. And the Holy Spirit says, wait, stop. And if we will sensitize ourselves and become responsive to the Holy Spirit, then what we'll find is that, you know what? He will keep us from a world of hurt. The trouble is this, though. The more we resist the Holy Spirit's conviction, the less we become aware of it. This is why that we sometimes can sin and we do something that the Bible is very clear, this is wrong, this is sin, and we just keep doing it, saying, you know what, it's okay, I'm not bothered by it anymore. And the reason you're not bothered by it is because your conscience has been seared so that you're not responding to the Spirit of God in that area. And that's a dangerous place to be because the Holy Spirit is your helper. He's your advocate. He wants to lead you to the places that are full and good. And if you keep resisting Him, 
then you'll find out that there'll be a whole bunch of things that you'll later regret. And this is why as God's people, we need to say, Lord, would you help me not only know your word, but know your spirit. Not only that, we need the people of God to help our moral compass. We need to to find people who are spiritually mature, who have been down the road that we can bounce our stuff off of, to share with them, hey, what are your thoughts? How did you get through this? So that we can begin to make manifest the purposes of God in our life. How do we develop our circle? We have to lean into the grace of God. We have to develop our moral compass. I want to invite the worship team to come up because that always makes me go faster. (laughs) If we're going to develop our circles, we also need to let go of lesser things for greater things. Um, I just want you to know there are so many goods that are a part of our life. But sometimes good can be the enemy of better. And sometimes in our relationships, we're like, yeah, my relationship is good. And so we just kind of coast in the goodness of a relationship. And in so doing, we miss out on the better. So sometimes we have to learn to say, okay, you know what, God, would you help me through your word, through your spirit? Where is it that you're challenging me and calling me to grow? And what do I need to let go of so I can hit better things? The last thing, if we're going to develop our circles, we lean into the grace of God, we develop our moral compass, we let go of the lesser for the greater, and lastly, we commit to journey together through. Please understand that relational maturity is developed through time and testing. And we need to be a part of of circles that say, you know what, I'm not giving up even though it gets hard. Even when things aren't going in my direction, even though it's not always what I want, when you commit yourself, when you begin to say, hey, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you in relationship through time and testing, you'll, you'll find out that there's a whole lot of good that you will never experience if you abandon it too soon. I'm so excited. So this coming year, Rachel and I are going to celebrate 30 years of marriage which is pretty impressive for one person to put up with me for that long. Just so you know, this church is really close because you're at, you've been putting up with me for over 20 years. Good Lord. Okay. Um, you, for those who are married, you know that when you first get married, you have this great idea of what marriage is going to look like, but then you find out something. You find out, oh my goodness, it's not going exactly like I thought. So you get a little cranky. Right? And you're like going, maybe I made a dumb decision. You probably did, but hey, you made the decision. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you begin to stick it through. And you begin to grow. And you begin to develop this whole thing, this, this abounding love thing. And all of a sudden, you're experiencing a whole bunch of goodnesses, goodnesses that would never have been known had you not gotten through. This is why Paul, as he writes to the Philippian church, says, guys, I just want you to know, every time I remember you, I just thank God. Your partnership in the gospel, from the first until now, you've been with me every step of the way, and I am so grateful because even though I am in a difficult place, I can make it in this place, not only because I have an amazing God who's with me, but because I know that in this place I'm not alone. You see, the quality of our life is impacted by those we surround ourselves with. 
And, and I think that, you know, as we go through, we're coming out of the Thanksgiving season, which is like, hey, God, we're thankful, thankful, thankful. And we move into the Christmas season. We're like, now I've got to deal with family, family, family. And I understand family is messy and difficult. Yet I'm convinced that God says, listen, I want you to experience the fullness of life. And part of that fullness of life is found in relationship. And may we be the kind of people that allow the hope of God to fill our hearts and not only give us faith for, for, for our past, but give us, give us confidence for even our struggles today because we have a God who loves us. He is our hope and He is our strength. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You love us. I thank You that You're working in our lives to bring about amazing good. And Lord, I pray Lord, I pray along with Paul. Lord, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we might be able to discern what is best and that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Lord, that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus for your glory, for your honor. Lord Jesus, I pray specifically that, Lord, you would help us lean into your grace because you are good and you care for us. And, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us develop a moral compass that reflects your purpose and your will. Lord, would you forgive us because, Lord, there are so many times that we justify our way, even when it's against and contrary to your way, because we believe it's right. And, God, instead of knowing life, God, it, it's, it's producing ruin. So, Lord, would you forgive us our sins? And God, would you give us the strength and courage to live the life you're calling us to? Just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many would just simply say, you know what? I, my, my prayer is that my relational circles would grow and develop as God desires. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. I want to see those hands. Yeah, look at all those hands. How many would also recognize you as, as you think about your piece in that relationship puzzle? You're like, going, you know what? There are aspects about my moral compass that I am not living in line with what God's word says. And you'd be like, oh, you know what, God, would you, would you forgive me my sin? Lord, would you, would you give me strength to live rightly for you? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you. Lord, you see these hands. These are your kids whom you are crazy about, whom you love. And God, I pray that, Lord, even in this acknowledgement, that you would begin to produce life-giving change. Because our hope is in you. Thank you for your kindness and grace. In Jesus' name.